or a lot of moms say, I just want to be in control. I'm like, okay, well, good news, bad news. You cannot control your child, bad news. Good news, you can control yourself. And when you control yourself, it influences your child to be able to control themselves. Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms Podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Joining me today is parenting coach Emily Hamblin. Emily is here to encourage listeners who struggle to find confidence when navigating their children's sibling rivalry. From decluttering our thoughts, to being intentional with our reactions, to simplifying our responses, Emily guides us through specific examples of how we can improve our responses and, ultimately, provide a stronger connection that our children both need and are looking for. Emily, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. I am so happy to be here, Diane. You have four simple steps to handling sibling conflict calmly, and I definitely could use this advice here because my three definitely don't always get along. So I'm excited to hear more from you. But before we get there, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll get our conversation started. Awesome. Well, like you said, my name is Emily Hamblin. I'm the creator of the podcast and life coaching business, Enlightening Motherhood. The podcast and the business are both dedicated to helping moms who are overwhelmed with children's big feelings and behaviors. So sibling conflict definitely feeds into that. But even more, I'm a mom of kiddos with big feelings myself. I have Four really, really wonderful children that also have really, really intense emotions and behaviors. Um, their ages 11, 7, 4, and 1. Three boys and a girl. So I definitely understand a lot of the challenges that come with that. Yeah, I was telling someone the other day, she was wondering why I tend to fill our schedule, which is probably very anti some of the stuff that I say sometimes. But I really like to do that because... I think structure is very helpful when we have something to do and look forward to, and it's not just sitting around the house. I feel like that's when conflict arises because we are in just such a small space. Have you found that in your own home? Um, I think it depends on the child. I have one child in particular that does a lot better when there's structured and he knows exactly what we're doing. And we have, you know, this is coming next. And then I have another child who actually does a lot better when it's just free playtime. And so It really just depends on the child. And I think they need a little bit of both. They need to know how to go with structure. And they also need to know how to handle conflict when it comes up without an adult there. I think you're right. Obviously, most things do vary from kid to kid. But just as we're speaking right now, I'll give listeners a little bit of insight to what is happening. My children are outside playing and my one son is chasing after the other with a garden hoe. It's little things like that, that obviously that's not a regular occurrence, but they get under each other's skin. So I'm happy that you have some steps to help us here, which we can go ahead and get on to the conversation, but also I'm happy to hear if you consider yourself a minimalist in your day-to-day life. I usually ask people that before we start. For sure. So like, to be totally honest, I would consider myself a semi-minimalist that wants to be a minimalist. Like I'm on the road there, but I'm still... Like I found minimalism a few years ago and I had a good few decades of hoarding before that. So still kind of working through the boxes in the garage kind of thing. That's with physical things. When it comes to like a lot of my parenting and a lot of my emotional and thought control, that's where I've really put in a lot of effort to be a lot more intentional instead of just 
whatever emotion comes, I'm going to go with and whatever thoughts enter my head, I'm going to fly away with and being more intentional of controlling those. How, how did you get there? Bringing it back to the prefrontal cortex and engaging that part of your brain to say, no, I'm going to pause. I'm not going to be reactive. I'm going to detach from all this. I'm, I'm very much into all of that, but how long did that take you to get to the point? That you're at now. So that's actually why I began my business because it took me okay. years. It took okay. me years of not really enjoying motherhood of it's so hard of my kids are melting down and I can't handle it. So I start to melt down. Right. And when I reached a point where I looked back and I was like, they can melt down and I can stay calm. They can have conflict and I know what to do. And sometimes the conflict can get really intense in our house, but me being able to know that I've got this under control on my, like, I can't control my child, but I can control me. It was huge. And that's why I started my business. Um, So, and that's actually the first step for handling sibling conflict. Oh, okay. To be intentional with your own emotions. Mm. And it's also what I like to do too, is to take, it was like a complicated journey for me to get here. And I'm like, it doesn't need to be this complicated. So I'm boiling all of it down to really simple steps that people can follow at whatever stage that they're in. So anyways, step number one is be intentional with your own emotions. Cause like often we walk in and our kids are frustrated with each other. So we meet their frustration with frustration. They're angry. So we are angry. They're really sad. And then we get sad that they're sad. We let them kind of control our emotions and to instead pause and recognize. And by the way, it's totally like normal and natural. It's not like we're crazy. If that happens in our head, we have all these mirror neurons and When we see someone that's experiencing an intense emotion, our brain kind of suggests to us, hey, would you like to follow that emotion also? And that's kind of our split second choice to be like, yeah, brain, I'll go ahead and follow that, which is what we do if we're subconscious or to be like, you know what? I'm not actually going to get frustrated right now. Yeah. Yeah. When you noticed that this was an issue in your family and how you parented, did you read a lot of books or what started that progress? I was doing everything. I was reading books. I was listening to podcasts and Instagram, like whatever I could get my hands on. I was talking to a lot of friends and that actually, it didn't always help because their children were so, they just seemed to be so much calmer than mine. (laughs) And I would say, well, what do you do when you tell your child to do something and they don't do it? And they just looked at me and they're like, they always do what I tell them to. And if not, I yell at them. I said, okay, so if you yell at them and then they scream at you, what do you do? And they just were like, my kids never scream at me. So it was like everywhere that I could get information. And then I experimented on my own children until I found something that works. The biggest thing that's helped me and it seems to help everyone across the board is just to recognize, okay, I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling frustration because my children are fighting. It's not really serving me. What thought is at the center of my frustration? So it's stopping instead of like getting mad. It's okay. So I'm frustrated. And why am I frustrated? And then kind of figuring it out first and recognizing what's at the center of that. I don't know, Diane, if you know what last bothered you when your kids were fighting, I I have ideas for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've heard that a lot of times fear is right behind anger. And it's because fear of not boo, I'm spooking you. It's more so fear of, is my child going to end up fill in the blank in a way that I don't like, am I going to look like a bad parent? Am I doing a bad job? So it's this preoccupation we have with maybe the future or something that's driving fear that we actually act out in anger. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. And I've also just seen a lot of 
like we have this thought at the center, like, okay, why am I so frustrated? And if I were to sum it up in one sentence, it might be, my children should not be fighting right now. Or I expect them to get along right now. Or they should be able to do this and they're not. And so it's kind of like a rejection of reality almost. My children are fighting and they should not be fighting. So I'm frustrated because they are. And it's not like any of those are illogical or crazy. I think most moms have had those thoughts. But when they're leading us to the frustration and then we show up to their argument frustrated or angry or whatever emotion, it kind of feeds it, right? Because then they have those mirror neurons going, oh, mom's angry. So we need to keep on being angry. Oh, mom's frustrated. Obviously, we need to stay frustrated. Yeah. That's when I pause. Like, is this serving me? It's not. I don't really Mm want to be upset. I don't want to be angry. Okay. How would I rather show up? Mm -hmm. I identify that next emotion. For me, I tend to go straight to confident or collected or calm. Or a lot of moms say, I just want to be in control. I'm like, okay, well, good news, bad news. You cannot control your child. Bad news. Good news. You can control yourself. And when you control yourself, it influences your child to be able to control themselves. So I thought that for me, that would help me more. And I think of this to apply it to our physical things. We don't just come home from the store with groceries and like drop them on the floor and let them hang out wherever they are. And we want to put the things away where they belong. And it's the same with our thoughts. These thoughts are going to come in our heads, but we can choose if we want to entertain them and keep them, or if we want to choose a thought that's going to serve us more. So for me, whenever my kids are fighting and I'm walking and I'm feeling frustrated, I pause, feeling frustrated because they're fighting and I think they shouldn't be. Okay. What if instead I think my children are having a hard time and they need my help or my children are fighting because they don't yet have the skills necessary to get along or just like my kids are doing their best and they need my help. Those are my default, something along that line. And I'm giving a lot of examples just because some of those will work with one person and another person will be like, that doesn't settle at all in my head. And so you need to find one that kind of resonates with you. So being intentional with our own emotions and we get there by our thought life and what we are processing in our minds. So what is your second simple step for us? Really right along with that is to just be neutral with your judgments. I don't know about you, but when I walk in, I often, if it's subconscious, it's usually subconscious. And then I just hold to the thought. I think one kid is the instigator and the other kid is kind of the victim, or we might say bully and victim. And it doesn't really matter who started it or whose fault it is, because we're not really worried about dishing out justice right now. We just want to resolve this conflict. And so if we can let that go, and plus, We really can't prove whose fault it is anyways. And sometimes whose fault we think it is, is based on who we're more frustrated at from something earlier in the day. So it just calms down. Or like we have all these thoughts flying. If we can just be like neutral Mm -hmm. and I want to solve a mystery. I'm like a detective. I'm not a judge that wants to give judgment here. Then that helps. So I usually start out by saying, hey, kids, there seems to be a problem. I don't say, Jack, why are you throwing a block at Betty? Or like, hey, you shouldn't be fighting. I just come in and say, oh, look, looks like you guys are having a problem. Or sometimes I'll say, hey, I hear a lot of really loud voices. It sounds like you're upset. What's up? And so I'd remove all of that judgment to start with and come in neutral. I've definitely noticed when I've been accusatory that it escalates everything because someone is 
maybe hasn't done anything wrong or they're being called out in front of everyone else when maybe it should be a more, I don't, it doesn't necessarily need to be a private conversation depending on what the situation is. But yes, I've definitely noticed that in my parenting that when I jump to conclusions, it's, I have to be neutral. That is a great advice. And it doesn't like, if we do find out later that one child was doing something that they shouldn't do with a sibling, like we can sure deal with that later. But when they're in that heat of the moment and their amygdala is all fired up and they've lost all of their upstairs brain connection, it's really, we just want to resolve this conflict. And so we're looking for calm and we're looking for confidence. And then later we can problem solve, but it's not really the best time in the heat of the moment. What is your third step for us? This one is important. So the first two are kind of laying the foundation to deal with it. And I know that this sounds really long, by the way, but whenever I have an example, we can go through. And whenever I do it with my own, mostly my boys, because my girl is not talking yet, but whenever I head in to a conflict with them, we've done this so many times and we practice it so many times. It takes like two or three minutes. So I know some people listen the first time and they're like, I can never take this long. That third step is to allow each child to share their perspective one at a time and completely without interruption. So say I just made up kids' names. We have like Jen and Betty, right? Then I want to allow Jen to say all of her piece of what's going on, all of her perspective, even if it's not logical and we don't interrupt and we don't let Betty interrupt. And then we move on. We kind of repeat it back, make sure we understand completely. Then we let Betty tell her entire perspective completely. Right. And I check back frequently. I make sure I'm understanding and I'll give an example, but it leads straight to number four. Once we totally understand both perspectives, whether or not they're logical or whether or not we agree, then we invite the children to come up with their own solution. So sort of if we hop into an example for this, Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm all for examples. So we have Jen and Betty. We walk into a room and we see them and they're both gripping the same toy and they're yelling over. I think every single mom has had this example. (laughs) So they're yelling over and Jen says, it's mine. And Betty says, no, I had it first. And so me of years ago, I probably would have been like, I am so upset that you kids are fighting. If you're going to fight over that toy, I'm just going to take it away. And then I yank it out of their hands and I'd walk out of the room and I'd slam the door. And, and then I'd be like, I don't know why my kids fight all the time. <laughs> Not that there's judgment for moms that are doing that, but sure. you can kind of see when we put it in that perspective, like, oh, I'm not controlling them, but I'm fueling that conflict. So instead, if I go, okay, my kids are fighting and they need my help right now. And I'm feeling calm and I'm feeling confident. And I walk in and I say, hey, there seems to be a problem today. What's up? And then maybe Jen starts talking and says, Betty's playing with my toy. And Betty tries to cut in and I say, okay, hold on, Betty. You'll have a turn to tell me your perspective in a minute. I promise. Okay, go ahead, Jen. Betty is playing with your toy. And Jen will say, yes, and I got it for Christmas and it's mine and I don't want her playing with it. And now I kind of just repeat back to them. Oh, I see. You think it's yours because you got it for Christmas and you don't want her playing with it. And if they're like my kids, Betty would jump in and be like, okay, hold on, Betty. I'll hear your perspective in a minute. And oh, I see. Okay. Anything else, Jen? Yes, I don't like the way she's playing with it. Okay. So you don't like the way she's playing with it. Is there anything else you want me to know? And Jen might be like, 
Mm -mm. there's usually a bit of attitude for my kids but it's okay because I'm calm so I'll let them have their attitude and feel what they want and I'm going to feel what I want so then okay Betty thank you for waiting I know waiting's hard okay is there what would you like for me to know do you want to share your perspective yes Jen wasn't even playing with it and she doesn't even care about it and this is all dumb okay so Jen wasn't playing with it and she doesn't care about it and you think that this is all dumb So notice I'm not agreeing with her that it's dumb. I'm just making sure she knows I heard her. So, okay. And so you think this is all dumb. And she only wants that stupid toy when I'm playing with it. And I say, okay. You think she only, I'm going to kind of modify it, right? You think she only wants the toy when I'm playing with it. And if she even insists, yeah, and it's stupid. Okay. You think it's stupid. So it's really clear I'm not agreeing. Okay, Betty, is there anything else you'd like for me to know? Mm -mm. Okay. So let me get this straight. Jen, you think that this toy is yours because you got it for Christmas and you think it should be played with a certain way. You're worried about how Betty's going to play with it. But Betty, you think that Jen doesn't even play with that toy and that she only wants to play with it when you play with it. Is that correct? Okay, great. Now, my perspective is that you're yelling and you're screaming and we don't like those noises in our house. Can you girls help me find a solution that meets all of our concerns. And sometimes this is really hard because I have some really, really creative children. And sometimes they'll make examples like, yes, I want you to go to the computer and print out another toy just like this. Or, uh, or they might say, yes, I think we should just burn that toy and not have it in the house anymore. And okay. So I just say, oh, you know what? That is an idea. Unfortunately, I don't think that would meet everyone's concerns or Ooh, that's a great idea, but our computer can't print that toy out. Like, I don't dismiss it, even if it's completely illogical, because this is actually really, really good for them. Eventually, if we do this enough, maybe they can do it on their own, right? Maybe they can come up with their own solutions. So we don't knock down their ideas. All of them are good ideas, but we keep going until we find one that works. If they can't find one, we wait a little bit, we could suggest. So maybe Betty would say, Jen, can I use your cart if I ask first? And then Jen says, no, I want to watch you when you're playing with it because I don't want you to break it. And so, okay, Jen, is it okay with you if Betty uses your toy only if she asks you first and if you're there to supervise? Mm-hmm. Okay, Betty, does this sound okay to you? And we usually just get grunts at our house, but like, mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you girls for helping me find a solution. So if this one stops working, can we revisit and find a new one later if if this isn't working anymore? So it leaves that open to know that this isn't like a one and done. We might have to work on it, but at least we're on that path. Everything you're suggesting, it does take time. It does take time to set aside. It's way easier to go in the room and grab the toy and say, I can't believe you're acting this way because honestly, that's how we feel. It's like, sure. I've, I've tried to do well with you all and you're still behaving this way. And so, yes, that is heightening our emotions. And so we go into that room reactive and we leave. And again, that's very easy to do because it's quick and we addressed it and every, but everyone's left sour, but what you're saying might take a little bit more time, but I think that if we get into these types of habits, we're going to see less conflict in the long run. So really you're spending less time in a heightened state and less time having to deal with all of this conflict. 
Yes, absolutely. And it takes like, my children are really quick to melt down. So if I go in the their room, I can't believe you're doing this. And I yank the toy out of their hand. You can guarantee there's going to be a meltdown. If not, then it's going to happen later that day, or they're going to hurt each other. Like it's not going to help in the long run. So it's kind of like to go back to the groceries analogy. Does it take more time to put your groceries away? Sure. But is it worth it to not have them laying all over the floor, tripping on them? Yeah, totally. And so it will take more time, especially up front. And so I recommend practice, practice when everybody's calm. Hey kids, next time we have conflict, if they don't know what conflict means, you can explain, or next time you have a disagreement or you're fighting, we have a new process that we're going to follow. Let's practice it now while we're calm, or you can pick up toys and okay, let's have the hippo and the elephant. They're fighting over a toy is really the easiest thing because it applies to other areas later, like TV or books or whatever. Okay, they're fighting over a toy and you run through a scenario just like I did. And then, okay, now you practice. Do you want to be the elephant and you be the hippo and you do it while you're calm? Then later when there is conflict, you practice it, you've run through it. Your brain's a little bit more wired to go through it. And giving yourself permission, it's probably not going to be perfect the first time you do it or the 10th time, right? But that process of it, it helps so much. Really, my kids would start fighting years ago and I would just tense up. And if my husband were home, maybe working from home, I'd have to go and grab him and be like, Hey, I need you to come and help because the kids are fighting and I can't handle this. And I'd be all up. And, and now it was just a really amazing moment. Probably a month or two ago, my husband was home and the baby was fussing and two boys started fighting and he out of habit came out, he stopped his work and came out to help. And I was just sitting there like totally calm dealing with the conflict. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I was like, Oh, I've got this, honey. You can keep on working. And it was one of those moments when we realized, well, like this, this has had major payoffs and sure. It might take three, five, even 10 minutes at first to start resolving those conflicts. But for me, that's going to save us this 20 minute meltdown later. It's going to teach the kids how to resolve their own conflicts eventually, like not instantly. None of this is instant. It's all a lifestyle thing. So much of what you were saying too is teaching emotional regulation and a sharing of feelings. And so I think it really is so important that we can use these maybe negative, perceived negative moments to uh, really build up our children and have them teach them the skills for the long term. So, yes. again, it might seem, I don't know, I guess I'm just saying that because it, some days seem more busy than others and time is not always on our side. But I think oh, totally. it's so well worth it when we look at the long term. And like, say we're in a hurry, they're in a fight and we need to get to this appointment. And if we're not there, the appointment will be canceled. Yeah. I might give a condensed version, right? I might be like, Hey, 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 there's a problem. Can we solve it? (laughs) It's just not ideal all the time, but yeah, there'll be times like that. I do though. I do still make sure I'm calm. I'm confident and I make sure I'm not casting judgments. And that is really like half of it right there. Well, Emily, this was really helpful for me personally. So hopefully it's helpful with listeners as well, but where can listeners connect with you online if they want to do so? Oh, that would be awesome. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and I have a podcast all under the same name, Enlightening Motherhood. Great. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask every guest. And the first one is what has been a beneficial resource to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? So this, it's going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn and I'm not, but It's a resource that I created because with children with really intense behaviors, one of the keys is finding the root behind that behavior. Sometimes where you're like, oh, I can't believe you're melting down because your banana doesn't look right. But usually there's something like 
a lot deeper. And if we can get to that root, then we can work on that root cause. And we're going to see it help across a lot of areas that are, that cause our children to melt down. And I wasn't happy with the resources that I found. They seemed really cumbersome. I would refer clients to them and they'd get overwhelmed with all of these options of what it could be. So I was like, that's it. I'm making my own resource. So I went and created an easy to follow cheat sheet and roadmap. We break it down to six possible areas. There's a 10 minute mini training and I made it available for free because I'm like, I just want to get this out to moms and help them understand their children more. So they can get that at my website, enlighteningmotherhood.com. And yeah, that's a resource that I'm a little obsessed with myself, even though I made it. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. I heard the minimalists say they were talking about self-promotion and how if you're confident in what you've written, you should share it you would be doing a disservice to something that you have done well. So I think it's totally fine. But my last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? This is going to make me sound like a total nerd, but I keep talking about the brain lately. I am learning so much about the whys, like, okay, why does it help when I'm calm? And why does it help that I'm staying neutral? And I'm kind of obsessed with the brain and learning what's going on in there, especially as it relates to emotional regulation and motherhood. Do you have a recommendation of a book or a podcast that you suggest in regards to the brain? Oh, totally. The Whole Brain Child by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. I give it like six stars out of five. It's superb. I, I absolutely love it. Well, Benji is trying to come inside from outside after this podcast conversation. So I'm going to let him in and let you go. But thank you so much for joining me today. This was so great. Thank you so much, Diane, for having me. What did you think of the episode? If you enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review is the best way you can help this podcast continue to succeed and grow. Again, thank you to everyone who supports the Minimalist Moms by listening, leaving those rating and reviews, or following along on social media at Minimalist Moms Podcast. As always, I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com, and there you can find links to the Instagram account, my Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less. Be quiet for just a second, okay? Hey, honey. Nope. Quiet as a mouse. Well, as we're wrapping up. No, I'm not a mouse. I am a okay. kid. Okay, you are a kid. Okay. Well, as we're... <laughs>